Welcome to the Innovate CT Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Innovate CT Podcast. And I'm excited to announce that for this episode, we actually have a guest host, Rana Arshad Haviz, an educator and community worker here in Connecticut for over 20 years. She'll be guest hosting a variety of podcasts for Innovate Connecticut over the upcoming weeks and months, and we're super excited to have her part of the show. And today, you will hear her first podcast from Reagan Allen, Programs Coordinator at Stanford Public Education Foundation. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me today. So um, let's talk a little bit about the role of schools. Um, There's a lot of conversations now happening about how schools need to change and how, you know, the educational system has changed since the time we were young kids. And you have four students, four children who went through public school systems who are going through public school systems. How do you think about schools? So I think it has changed from when we were in school. Um, It was mostly academics. I used to be a kindergarten and first grade teacher 25 years ago. And by the end of kindergarten, they were supposed to know their letters, and that was it. And now the expectations in terms of academics, kids are asked to do more when they're not developmentally ready to do more. Um, As well as when you get to high school, it's such this emphasis on APs and high SAT scores. So academically, I think that's one way education has changed. There's a lot more push for kids when they might not just be ready. And then depending upon your district, the needs may be different. So kids come into school who haven't had breakfast. Schools need to provide breakfast. Kids who have experienced trauma, you know, immigrating at the border, we need to provide them services. So schools are providing a lot more than I think they were expected to provide when we went to school. But that's interesting that you mention um, that kids are expected to do a lot more in school, but the industry and you know people who are uh, who are looking at the outcomes of schools, they will repeatedly tell you that kids are coming in, even from backgrounds where you know where they may be more socially prepared, that they are coming in far less prepared to take on the responsibility as adults than they did say. It, you know, a few years ago, before this, say, 20 years ago. So how would you respond to that? I, I agree, and I hear that. And I also hear, you know, when we get compared to Finland and Singapore. But I also think when you look at those countries, our poverty levels are so high. So you have such high needs. And I do think that in terms of skills, we maybe aren't teaching what we need to. I always think about, I always thought of myself as a good writer. Um, my kids... I don't mean to badmouth them, but I don't think they're the best writers. And I think it's because they've been taught to write to the test. So in their CMTs back then and now SBACs, it's very formulaic. They need to have a topic sentence. They need to have three pieces of evidence. So they're being asked to do more because that's a stressful, but it's not real writing. So you know what? When it's time for my son to write a cover letter, he really, it was not good because it was so formulaic. He was learning what he did um, to write letter or write in high school to prepare for the CAP test for the CMTs. So you're a parent, a teacher, a parent leader. If you were to imagine a school, like, you know, completely, you were, you were the freedom, you had the freedom to imagine and dream of a school, which would be ideal. What would it look like? 
I'm what would it sound like? Right. I'm definitely a proponent of the community school. So I would love to see a school that's open 24-7, that provides health services, that provides counseling. Um, I think that there's just, in, especially in Fairfield County, there's so much of the haves and haves nots. And I think schools are the kind of equalizer in this and they need to provide these services for students who may not have those kinds of services. So that's one thing I think the facilities, if you go to Fairfield County, um, just the other day, I was in a high school, and I won't say where, but it was it was cinder blocks, it was falling down, it looked terrible. My children go to AIT, it's a beautiful building. So I think the facilities need to be updated. It's hard with technology, because technology is changing all the time, but I'd want to see a school that's providing the services um, and has good facilities, as well as great teachers. I mean, I think that's a big problem in Connecticut and in Fairfield County, especially to recruit teachers because they're not paid enough to live in Stamford. So we'll come to the teaching part. That's something I would love to talk to you about. But in this ideal school of yours, what does teaching and learning look like, sound like? So I think the teaching and learning should be real world experiences. Um, I understand that there have to be tests because we do have to use it you know, in terms of diagnostics to assess where we are and use data. But I think there's too much emphasis on practicing for the test. It's definitely better in my children's school than it used to be with CMTs. Um, it's better with SBACs in terms of prep. Um, but I think teachers need to do more um, real world, interesting things that are going on. Again, my kids are in Stanford. I can't speak to other, other districts, but we don't have a gifted and talented program, and I'm not a fan of traditional gifted and talented programs. I'd much prefer to see differentiated instruction in the classroom. Um, we need to do things that are exciting for kids so that they want to go to school. Um, teachers need to be updated on the latest techniques, um, how to teach reading. But I think the big thing is to, yes, we, they want to get the basics, but if kids are going to succeed, they have to see the connection with real world, what's going on. Talk to me a little bit about, um, so you talked about like, you know, real world learning. Do you think the Common Core and now the NGSS both have been adopted and, you know, certainly Stanford is also adopting this. So do you think that opens door for more for the kind of learning you're talking about, you're thinking about? I think it's a good concept, but right now the way it's going, I don't see it the same thing when I first heard about it I thought wow this is going to be great but with testing tied to it and really from I can see not that much professional development um, right now I don't see it as a good thing I think it needs to change to have that real world piece brought in and more training for teachers um, and not so much of a mandate so it's interesting you've 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 mentioned quite a few times teachers um, so talk to me a little bit about that. What what role do you think you have four kids who've gone through school systems? Your youngest is in mm -hmm. fifth grade now, so you've seen quite a few mm -hmm. teachers. What is it? What is that spark in a teacher that, first of all, does teach do teachers matter? And if they matter, what is it that matters about them? What is it that, that makes a teacher so exceptional? So as you said, I've had a lot of teachers. I've had fantastic teachers in Stanford. I've had mediocre teachers in Stanford. I can say I probably have only had two really poor teachers, so I'm very, I think, lucky and happy with that. Um, 
I think it's building relationships. Um, my daughter's current teacher this year, every morning when he greets the kids, he has a personalized handshake for them. And some of them are involved handshakes. So this these kids coming in, they start the day knowing this teacher knows them and this teacher cares about them. And from all the fantastic teachers that my kids have had, the best ones are the ones that do have connections with their students. They have relationships so they know that the kids know that the teachers care about them individually um, and because they care about them they're maybe making the curriculum or doing things in the class that are interesting um, I'm just even thinking last week my daughter did a unit on uh, the colonies and so her teacher knew that the teacher knew that it was a that that class in particular likes competitions so they all did ads about why um, immigrants should move to their colony what colony was the best and she came home she was so excited about it this teacher knew what the class needed and did a fun activity that probably was not in the curriculum is my guess so when you when you say that you know teachers should have personal relationships and they should work on nurturing and cultivating those and then you mentioned earlier a little bit about recruitment of teachers so how how do you gauge for that when you're recruit i like i personally I strongly believe that, you know, our HR, and that's one of the weakest links in public education. Like, you know, it's it's such little attention is paid to that part. So how do, and then I think about it, like, it's okay to say that there's a problem, but then how do you envision a solution? So like in your mind, what do you think is a solution to that? Um, so some of this, what I poo-pooed at first, but now I really am a proponent of it, or I believe it's, um, University of Bridgeport has the internship program. So I the went teachers, through that. Okay. So I really like the idea. So I went to, I got my master's from Columbia Teachers College. And was it the best education? Yes. Amazing professors. Was learning, you know, top, top of the line theory, everything. Did I ever have a class on classroom management? No. Was I prepared to teach in New York City? No. Mm -hmm. So I think these programs that have where you intern and you actually spend time in the schools like University of Bridgeport, and I think there's some others out there, um, they're learning the real world experience. And to your point, I think the HR, they need to connect more with these schools. I mean, I just I don't think that they do. They talk about having job fairs, but I think they sit behind a table and pass out flyers. I mean, really, mm -hmm. how much are they connecting? I don't know. I can't speak to that too much, but I think... I don't think people are going into teaching as like a, you know, like they're going into investment banking. When you say to somebody, oh, I'm going to be a teacher, it's kind of not high esteem. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do certainly strongly feel about that, that, you know, it's interesting how little respect we have for that profession, mm -hmm. which is, I say, I have said this many times, that this is the only profession in which you actually build people, like mm -hmm. whether you're a teacher or an administrator, mm -hmm. which other job in the world are you making people, mm -hmm. like human beings? So, like, you know, think about it, it's sub, but we don't give that, the profession does not receive that kind of respect, certainly. Yeah, and I, you know, there is, but how do you, there's also, tremendous amount of like you know charter schools or many other nonprofits which are working in this space now talk a lot about and I've seen this with my own like you know I've been a teacher and administrator for such a long time now something it is 
when people have been teachers for a long time, somehow they become cynical and they lose that spark a lot more quickly than in other jobs. Like a, a doctor has been a doctor for 20 years, it's less likely that they lose their spark, but teachers do. What happens to them? Unless and until they're nurturing themselves in um, different ways. So why do you think that happens? So I'm, for me, I can say I think I'm a perfect example of that. Um, I stopped teaching um, my son was born and I had every intention of taking a year off and then going back to teaching. And I did enjoy being a stay-at-home mom, but the real reason I didn't go back and why now I would never want to be a classroom teacher is there's too much focus on tests and prescriptive curriculum and pacing. So when I was a teacher, I was able to do, I had standards that I had to meet, but I wrote my own curriculum. That doesn't exist anymore. I mean, if you're a teacher and you're creative, it's very hard to fit things in. Um, one of my son's teachers uh, did does this public speaking unit and it's amazing because she has the kids learn a speech and they're supposed to talk for three minutes. Well, she was told she, there's no time. She can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was a great experience. And I think oh, that's and, why... And public speaking is considered one of the single most important life right. skill. Yeah. Yet she, because it was not in the curriculum, not in the pacing guide, she could not do it. So I think that's where teachers... You know, somebody like me, I had a great background, could have gone back. Would I want to be a classroom teacher? No, because there's there's nothing really, I hate to say it, it's not that exciting. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. So I think you lose a lot of those people. Like me, if I had gone back, I probably would have been an administrator. Maybe eventually I would work for, would have worked for a publishing company, textbook company, something, but I would not want to stay. It takes a very, very special person to be a classroom teacher for as long as I haven't. Some of those teachers I know from my kids' school, they've tried other things like being a reading specialist or um, I have one friend who was assistant principal and she decided, you know what? I really like being with the kids. I want to go back to the classroom. So let me ask you, and it's interesting because, you know, Google, Facebook, a lot of these companies are paying so much attention to actually, you know, their recruitment process. Like, you know, that was the number one thing that Google built once they built their company mm-hmm. was how to build their recruitment process yep. and we haven't done that as school systems no. at all we haven't thought about that in public education at all do you have any thoughts on that i think that i honestly haven't thought about that but you're totally right about that i mean kids if they're in college if you say oh i'm interviewing at google or facebook i mean it's like amazing yeah. if you say oh i'm interviewing at stanford public schools oh great like, yeah. it's just not I don't know. I mean, that would be an interesting concept to figure out how HR departments and maybe it could be across the state could work together, could make it exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I hear of pockets of things here and there, like executive leadership or administrator cohorts in different places to get teachers excited, because a lot of it is the professional development and the mentoring and the getting together with your colleagues to make it more of a professional type profession and career. I would love to see. Yeah, now that I think about that, get on that. (laughs) Um, Let's talk a little bit about diversity, you know, diversity in the classroom and diversity in the staff. Um, That's, again, another big, you know, that's something that many of us are thinking about. So what do you think? Why do you think it's important? Why should it be inculcated? How should it be inculcated in schools? So that is the reason we've stayed in Stanford all these years because of the diversity. Mm-hmm. We thought about moving to a New Canaan or even a Fairfield or a Darien, and we said, no, we're going to stay because the diversity is important to us. 
my husband grew up in Westchester County and I grew up in West Hartford and we had really no diversity. My first Jewish friend wasn't until I think senior year and first Jewish friend mm-hmm, because I lived on the Conard side, oh, not okay. the Hall side. Oh, okay. Um, so, um, and I have to say, when I went to college, I was not prepared to interact with people of different races, different faiths. It, it was definitely challenging for me. So my husband and I and my husband had the same experience. So when we were looking to buy homes years ago, we looked all over the tri-state area and decided that it was going to be Stanford. Um, so now that we're here, we've stayed. And I have to say, I'm really happy because my oldest son was in college last year and he came home for break and he said you know I'm really glad we stayed in Stanford and I said what do you mean and he said well I'm in college now and my roommate's from Ohio and you know he was saying the other day like he had never had a meal with somebody black Mm -hmm. and he said you know I never really thought about it when I was growing up but now it's there so I think where we're struggling in Stanford and a lot of other places are having diversity of staff I mm-hmm. think that's where we could do a lot better because kids need to see teachers who look like them, have role models who look like them. Um, I think more can be done. Um, it's great in terms of it's not, you know, not engineered in elementary school. They all play together. But you see as they get higher in middle school, West Hill has the supposedly the black cafeteria and the white cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you get hard, when you get older, it's harder to really have real diversity so it's something we could certainly work on, but I'm thrilled with the way Stanford handles diversity in the elementary schools. I'm thrilled that they've stuck to their 10% policy. I'm sure you've talked mm-hmm. about that, as opposed to the state's 20, you know, 5%. It's definitely a priority for Stanford, so we're thrilled to stay here. Yeah, it's interesting. The diversity has, you know, it's also an economic imperative besides being a moral mm-hmm. imperative because, you know, kids, like, you know, why is Google... Uh, diversifying it's as i said of course it's it they they all want to become moral companies too but economically you can't sustain yourself till you have that diversity of thought you'll Mm -hmm. never be able to survive in a global economy Mm -hmm. if you don't have diverse perspectives more than just the racial ethnic or religious Mm -hmm. diversity Mm -hmm. you need because it brings in diverse way of thinking the most important thing Mm -hmm. um and then i want to come to the last thing um you know, Connecticut recently, we lost and won the CJF case. Mm-hmm. So um, Stanford is is a diverse community, but then there are many communities in Fairfield which are extremely uh, homogeneous, and then and bo- on both the communities which are economically very deprived and the e- economically very affluent communities. Where do you think? you know, the responsibility of, you know, adjusting those resources. What is your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think Stanford has been dealt not a good card all these years. Um, But honestly, I'm just exhausted. I'm exhausted for fighting and I feel like we have to find some other way to raise the money because I just feel like I've been up to Hartford so many times for hearings and just as a taxpayer and a parent, I don't see CJF is ever going to be really resolved. I don't see a solution that way. Um, you hear of like little pockets here and there of things happening where the wealthier towns help others, and I think more needs to be done to that. There's a group out of New Canaan who has now started doing 
weekend food backpacks for students in Stanford, and I think it's a wonderful program, and it really shows wealthier communities helping out you know, less wealthy communities, but in a meaningful, much-needed way. It's not just, oh, let's send... Um, you know, let's send some of our teachers over to do a quick workshop. No, this is long-term, long-lasting help that this community is giving Stanford. So I'd like to see more programs like that. Um, I Yes, would it be great if New Canaan donated, you know, $2 million to our education fund? Yeah, that would be great, but I don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. Um, to my point, I don't see the ECF's formula changing. Um, so I think we're kind of, we are where we are, and we kind of need to solve the problems on our own. Thank you so much of for course. taking the time to talk to me. If you would like to get involved with Innovate CT, please visit our website at www.innovatect.org. There, you can find links to our social media. We currently are active on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and hope to hear from you soon. Thank you.